As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I am Hugh Wizencroft. Thank you once again for joining us for another special edition of the Game Podcast because we are joined by the former Stoke City boss, the former Middlesbrough and West Bromwich Albion manager. Tony Pulis is here alongside Matt Lawton and Tom Clark. Tony, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Yeah, looking forward to the programme. How, how have you been, just generally? You left Sheffield Wednesday at the end of, I think, 2020. It's fair to say it's a mad world at the moment. Um, <laughs> it, it just is in football and outside of football. How have you found things? Yeah, it, it, I think it takes you a while. Having been in the game was 16 years of age and then going right through 64, 65 next birthday. Um, it's my first real long break. Um, and it takes a while to, uh, to adjust to things. But I live in a beautiful part of the world um, and we're very, very lucky to have three wonderful children and seven grandchildren. That keeps you pretty busy. Mm. Um, uh, I still go to games, still do you know bits and pieces. Um, I've done stuff with uh, in other sports as well as football. So yeah, and keep myself busy. Good, good. And we're going to come to uh, some of the stuff going on in football at the moment, your opinions on it a little bit later on. But there is a very specific reason that you've come here. And it's interesting you mentioned that time with your grandchildren as well, because your time away has allowed you to take a closer look at academies in football. Just tell us how that developed. Well, it's just my little, you know, my little grandson, you know, joined a, a, a very, very good academy, a very well run academy. And being a grandparent, wanting to go and watch him play football, you know, being a young lad and being football mad, it just developed over a period, really, going in and watching him train first and then playing in games, looking at the, uh, the setup more than I'd ever done before as a manager. I'd been at football clubs that run academies. You know, the, the, the academy system is, is an empire within an empire. Um, you know, they've actually got more people now working in academies than they have. In, in really the the professional side of of the the big clubs, um, and you know you were concentrating on winning football matches at the top level. I'd always get the kids over and, and play um, on a Friday against the first team, so I'd have a, a good understanding. If there was youth games, I'd go and watch youth games. I'd always talk to the youth coaches, but that was about as much as I put into that um, that area. So actually going to watch the little and uh, train and play just backed me off really uh, to find out more about the system more about the way it was run how it was run you know obviously um, the standards and everything else and yeah it's been interesting You've taken a closer look at academies alongside Matt Lawton. You've written a fantastic piece you can read it on the Times app right now Matt tell us the journey, if you like, that you went on with Tony to discover a little bit more about academies. It was quite a few months ago, wasn't it, that 
he mentioned that he was doing this piece of research um, because motivated by being on the touchline as a, as a grandparent, standing there with parents, with families and watching these kids. But also I think what Tony was observing was the commitment, not just that the kids make in academy football, but the families make, the parents make massive commitment. You know, Tony's grandson will be playing games that are 150 miles from home. So mum or dad that day is doing a 300 mile journey to, to, for an eight year old. And when you read the literature that is distributed by the by the clubs, it's it's a huge commitment. They demand the commitment. There's a code of conduct for the parents, and it's it's brilliant. It was set up ten years ago. The the, the um, this elite performance uh, plan for, for for players by the Premier League because they did want to produce more homegrown players. They did want to in, to improve the standards and produce better technically gifted players. And we can see the benefits of that. We can see the Phil Foden's and, and, and players like that that are coming out of the system now. They are technically better than, than perhaps the players of previous generations. But what interested Tony and what interested me from a from a journalistic perspective was the, was that here was a, a guy that's managed what have you managed more than a thousand you're, you're one of the people that's managed more than a thousand yeah. games aren't you yeah about 1250 yeah, 50 or years in football yeah. but what interested me particularly and I think what interested us as a paper was that here was somebody that has been in the game for 50 years that was actually expressing concern for those who don't make it and I thought that's what was such a, what made it such a good story that what Tony is pushing for and what he's this proposal he's taken to the Premier League and to the uh, to the PFA is that more needs to be done for the kids who are rejected. You know, I worked with Dave Collins at the Sunday Times last year, and we did the whole sort of background piece on that terrible story about Jeremy Whiston, the kid the kid at Man City who gets let go at sixteen just before he's about to do his GCSEs. Two years later. You know the dream has died. He's he's you know he sees some of his mates that he spent the previous years with now making it as footballers, and you know he he took his own life. It's, it's, you know a desperately sad story, but there are lots of examples of that. You know one of the one of the parents that Tony spoke to talked about it taking them two years to get their son back. You know we touched on this in the piece. Two years he was broken for two years. They've got him back on track now. He's now gone to university and he's getting an education. But and that was that was what impressed me about what he's done. This massive piece of research. He's put a lot of work into it. And 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 it's and it's about, as he says in his research, it's about the ninety five percent that don't make it. Okay, we're going to pick up on a few of those things. I'll do them in the order that you mentioned them there, Matt. Let's talk about families first. The, I, I think the weight of expectation in, that families have in football is huge. And at times you think it's maybe inspired by what they see and read. I mean, we're talking about Erling Haaland going to Manchester City. His dad's his intermediary. He's going to make a huge sum of money. It's, it's you know, they might as well have announced them as the new winners of the Euro millions. You know, it, it, it's, you know, it is, it is beyond life-changing for, for some families. Do you think that now that we see more intermediaries, the rules changed a couple of years ago around agents and more families are involved with deals, that, that certain people do see that as a way of them, you know, if their son does make it, changing their lives as well. Well, I, th I think there's uh, a, the, the relevant point about families is this, is that if your kid is in an academy, if you go in, you know, I, I think I put in the piece, it's like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. If you walk into an academy setup, and some of the setups I've I've gone and watched my grandson play in are just absolutely fantastic. You know, the pitches are wonderful. 
you know, they give them kit, they give them boots, you know, they, they supply everything. The balls that they play with are absolutely, it, it's top draw. Mm. And families uh, who are not used to, I've been fortunate to be in football all my life. So I, I understand it's the norm at most clubs, especially at the top end of the, um, the leagues. Families have never seen this before. The parents, the mothers, they've never... So the dream, they get they get bought, really, or taken into this dream mm. of their youngster coming through this system. And like you say, they read the papers, they have a look at the great rewards at the top end of it if their kids get through and, and, and become top players. My, my concern, and, and it is a massive worry, is that um, the parents actually spend so much time following their kids or taking their, their children to three nights a week, academy football, then academy football on Saturdays, that it becomes, it just takes their lives completely over. And and the kids, you know, every, every youngster should have a dream and they should have an opportunity and a chance to become a footballer. You know, you should never take that away from young players. So they, they, they give it everything they've got. But the quality that's needed and the, the 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 ability that's needed is so fine at the top level. It's frightening. And looking at the uh, the way the systems run, the amount of players in the system, you know, you look at it and you think, well, you know, that the chances of them coming through are so minimal. It's frightening. But the parents along the way have given up so much for that dream, and the kids as well. It's frightening, and there should be, there should be, in my opinion, a safety net. What 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 happened in, uh, ten years ago? The Premier League um, put a proposal together that the, the the kids should have more time playing football, and to do that, they took a couple of hours away from their education. So you know that the, the balance is not correct and it's not right, and there's so many people that drop out of the system at different ages that they need protection. And that protection, as I've said, I've, I've written it out in my um, in my piece, how I would do it. And I, I, I don't want to come and sit here and criticise the academies. It's a wonderful, it's, you know, as I say in my piece, it's one of the, you know, it, it is one of the great youth policies in world football. You know, what Warriors provide is just extraordinary. The unfortunate thing is there's so many people drop out of the system that I think that um, with with people giving everything, and I mean everything for their player, for their boy to be a player, there has to be a safety net for the lad, but also something that the parents can grab hold of as well. Onto those then that that don't make it, and that safety net. What what do you think should be provided for these <coughs> young players that drop out of academies? Well, what I've done, I've split the country up into six different regions, six different areas, and I would align the professional clubs with colleges and universities in those areas. So what I would do, I would have a dual scholarship. At 16, there's a massive, massive fallout. That's when mm. scholars, you, you you come out of school and you become a scholar. At 16 years of age, I think there's 500 boys a year get released, 500 boys. So that's 500 families. You know, and the families could have three or four, it could be three or four children that the father has not neglected, but hasn't given as much time to them as what he's given to, to, to the lad in the academy. So you've got all that going on. Um, so at 14, I would have uh, two mentors at each club, a mentor that would look after a, a youngster from 14 to 16 years of age. That's a very crucial, crucial time in the kid's development. Someone who would uh, monitor him, go to his school, look at what his strengths are on the educational side. 
almost put together um, uh, a bespoke educational program for him. Now, at 16, if he signs, if he gets a scholarship, he goes into the into the football club. If he doesn't, that 14 and 16, if you look at it, they're told about six weeks before they take their GCS. Exam, you know that can ruin kids mm. going into that 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 exam. So what what I would say is that at sixteen, that mentor then would have prepared and had a proposal ready for one of the colleges or one of the universities who who alongside the football club is working to to be able to put that kid into that college, and that college would look after him in the area that he's strong at. But not only that, we would run hopefully a games program in the in the six areas so the kid goes in he's not had you know he could have been at the club for since seven so he's had or is it nine years mm. nine years at that football club playing turning up training three nights a week playing on a, on a, a weekend football's in him it's like a drug so putting him in the university or the college that has a games program as well not only does he get an education and something he wants to do and something that he's strong on. But also he has a games programme where he can train twice a week, three times a week, and then have a game on a Saturday. So you, although you've eased him away from from the, the disappointment and the failure, you've actually taken him into an area where the dual scholarship comes in, but also he has a chance to regurgitate him through the system from 16 to 21 or to 23, where professional clubs might look at him again and bring him back in. So that, that's one of the safety nets. If he's taken on as a scholar at 16 and he goes into the, the, the club, he has to make football, he has to make football the priority. But I would then put in place one day a week and two nights a week on Skype, where again, where, whatever his strengths are, and like I say, it's a bespoke educational program for each individual player. That mentor then, a different mentor, then takes over that 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 uh, duty of looking after and that duty of care, which is ever so you know important for me, to make sure that it's not just his football that he's he's looking at. He's also looking at that side of the age, education as well, and that goes through to eighteen. At eighteen is the next big dropout. If he loses a place or is not taken on at eighteen. If he gets his qualifications with hopefully we would or, or passed it, he can then go into that college or university till he's 21. So he's looked after all the way through till he's 21, 22, 23 years of age. So we haven't got this situation where everything or nothing, and that's where it is at the moment. It's everything for the parents, everything for the boy at 16. And if it doesn't work, you know, they're, 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 and clubs, some clubs are better than other clubs at looking after them when they release them. Mm. But it's still such a such a massive disappointment. Right. To, to, to understand the scale of what, of what Tony's talking about here, Hugh, is, is just look at some of the statistics. 0.5%. So the, so the game we watched on, on Sunday, 0.5% of those kids that we're watching, the under nines, under tens, will actually have a career in football. 0.5%. And it, but, and he, but even then, at that age, they're making that kind of commitment as families. But even when... This, these are the staggering bits. The lads that get the scholarships at 16, which is a big deal, they are within touching distance of becoming professional footballers. When they then get taken on as apprentice, professional apprentices at 18, 78% of the kids in the academy system that get taken on at 18 are no longer in football by the time they're 22. So again, it, it's the, the dropout rate to find those gems, to find those Phil Foden's, as we've mentioned, to find those kind of players, to unearth that kind of talent. 
this is the point. There's ten to 12,000 kids in the academy system at any one time, 3,500 in the Premier League to find those players. And and Tony's point is that you need those players because there's 10,000 matches every season in the games programme mm. pre under the Premier League umbrella. So you need all those bodies. And they're all great players. Like, crikey, we were watching this game on Sunday. <laughs> they're brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. doing Ronaldo stepovers. You know, they're all incredibly skillful, partly helped by the fact that they're playing on pitches that you could have a game of tennis on. You know, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's wonderful. Um, you know, because, you know, where we were, you've got the, you've got the state-of-the-art building. On one side are the Premier League pitches that the Premier League players train on. On the other side is the academy, but it's it's immac it was immaculate, wasn't it? Oh, it just it, fantastic. Yeah. But 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 the point is, the dropout rates are enormous. So few of them make it, and and I think, I think what what's motivating Tony here, looking at his own grandson, is he doesn't want his education to drop off. One of the statistics that one of the experts he spoke to said that at 9, 10, when they do their SATs at primary school, actually, apparently, uh, academy, them, academy yeah. footballers are slightly above average when, when they do their SATs. By the time they're 16... They're below. They're below yeah. average because they've committed. They, 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 it's come at a cost. You know, it, mm. their education has been compromised. In the piece, it's described as an industry within an industry. Uh, listening to what you're both saying, do we think that there are too many players being taken in, or you know, you you, you talked about Willy Wonka's chocolate factory? You know, it's got everything in there. There's a part of me that has always thought that some of the things that I see, I've got friends who have. Uh, kids at academies of some of our Champions League teams and yeah. they are taken in with the director of football they have their picture taken with a contract in front of them they hold up a shirt with their name on the back they're taken into the stadium they have pictures and they're eight or nine years old and it looks great when we see them on tv and this player has got a picture from when they're a kid and they're about to score the winning goal in the fa cup final and we can use that to say look where where they started but you don't see all the kids of course who haven't made it to that level but they've been treated as if they are a player of that that champions league team yeah a story that I I had a couple of years ago, and, the, and I'm loath to name the club, but they are a Champions League club because they're very sensitive about it, and they've stopped doing it now. But they were lit the day that that nine-year-old was signing, they would send a Hummer limousine to the family home, so the kids and I mentioned it in the piece today, the kids and their mum and dad get in the back of a limousine, and and this is absolutely true. When I put it to the club, they denied it, and they actually threatened me with legal action. Um, and then I was on a, I was on a skiing holiday, a lad skiing holiday, a few months <laughs> later, and I didn't know everybody on the trip. It was one of those where it was friends of friends, and yeah. this guy says to me, um, "You're a sports journalist, aren't you?" And I said, "Yeah." yeah. He goes, "Oh, my kids at this club. He's 11." Blah blah blah. I said, oh, "Right, okay." I said, "Just out of interest, what was it? What was it like the day that he signed when he was nine? Unbelievable," he said. "Unbelievable." They, I, and this is, <laughs> I, I didn't even have to prompt him. And, and I didn't, honestly, he said, Hummer limousine was sent to the house. Mm -hmm. I said, you haven't got any pictures of that, have you? And he goes, uh, yeah, I have. So anyway, so I then got, when I then got home, I thought, I'm on holiday. I'm not going to yeah. have the row here. I got home and I rang the uh, person at the club that I'd spoken to previously. And I said, so imagine the scene. There I am. I'm on, <laughs> I'm on a mountainside and I'm suddenly looking at pictures of a kid, one of your kids in a Hummer limousine. You told me that they, they didn't use Hummer limousines. Mm. Anyway, they've stopped doing that now. And I did ring another because what one of the complaints being made by the clubs was that 
it was these kind of tactics that were being used to prize kids from other clubs. And I rang one of the other clubs and I said, you know, do you want to make a complaint about this? And I always remember what, what he said, and there was another comms director at one of the other big Premier League clubs. And he said, we're not getting into this. He said, for all I know, we're flying them in, in helicopters. <laughs> mm. I've always thought that Academy shouldn't be named after the Premier League team. I, I also don't think the players should be put into the same kits as the Premier League players with the sponsor on the front because it, it gives them the impression that they already play within the club. Instead of saying at the end of this process, w you know, maybe some of you could go I, into the yeah, club, I, could become part of the club. Yes. Instead, they say you are part of the club. And then at 16 years old, they say you're out of the club and that that I think can crush players. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a, a, a lot of, pros for and people against it but the, the the main thing in the main the main issue is that they need a games program they need a games program for the elite because those lads have to play every week and that the ones who are at the top and you know the top top level of, of the groups need to play and and they are supported by a group that maybe have a chance and a group that has got no chance and that that's what I'm trying to say the people who've got no chance or just the smallest of chances. They have to be protected. They have to be looked after. The elite, we know what the elite are. Matty's named two of them already. We know which ones have come through and absolutely fantastic. What we never talk about and what we never discuss and what we never put, I don't think, in the Premier League and the PFA at this present moment, don't put enough effort into, is actually looking after that big group of players who along the way fall by the wayside. There needs to be a safety net. And you've got to have the number of players in, as Matt's just said, 10,000 games a season. And it's needed. Those players need those games. The elite players need the games. The clubs need those games to get the elite players to a level that they want them to. The ones who are there to fill the, fill the spaces and, 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 and produce the numbers needed, they're the ones we have to look after. 
Is false hope an issue at these football clubs? The messaging, just tell us about the messaging from the coaches. In your experience and your time in football, I don't know if you ever spoke to your youth coaches about how they speak to the parents, how they speak to the families. Do they give certain players the impression that they are in the system, everything's going well, and then they're maybe surprised when they're released? I think you must get, you've got to give youngsters the opportunity and a chance to dream. And they dream at their ages to become a professional footballer. They're given the opportunity that you cannot believe. You know, the system and everything else is, as Matt said, it's just a, 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 off the scales. It's absolutely fantastic. And the kids have to have that chance. They, they you know, some will develop earlier than others, but they, they, they've got to, you know, when I was a young lad, I wanted to play. I wanted to be a football. I didn't want no one standing in my way. I just wanted to do that. And these kids are the same. They go there, yeah, they, they're sold you know, a dream within a dream, really. Um, but you've got to give them that chance. You can't. You cannot take that chance away. What you've got to do is that if and when they drop out, there's got to be a safety net for them because Premier League clubs now, especially the top clubs, are making absolute fortunes out of, you know, either loaning players out or selling uh, academy players. There's so much money in the system now. That, 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 and we are developing and producing top players, so that that money should be regurgitated back through, like like I say, for the ninety five percent. The five percent look after themselves. The ninety five percent we have to give protection. Um, a, we, you know, we used to have a du more of a duty care in protecting those lads through those stages, but also protecting the families, protecting the parents. You know, the parents give so much up and so much time and effort to you know to follow the kids around you know they get the dream as well they get they get they get that injection of spirit that my boy's going to be a player so you have to protect them and you have to protect the families it's an interesting question you raise though Hugh because as part of this journey and it's been much I have to say I, I've I've jumped on the end of <laughs> he's done all the work I've, <laughs> I've piggybacked him right at the end and for a piece in the times but um but as part of this process, we've looked at the literature that, that is sent to parents right from the beginning, right from the age of eight. And the, the, these these brochures, you know, because it is still a competitive industry to get the get the kid to come to your academy. And, you, and over 60-odd pages, while I'm sure there is some messaging, a very deliberate messaging warning them that, that you know, it, it's, it's, it's a slim chance of success in the long term, you read through the brochures. There's very little language that's that's focuses on the negative, focuses on the possibility of failure. It's all positive, positive, positive. Even down to sections about what you say to your child's school about why they should be given a day release, and and it actually sort of it's almost within the brochure, coaching parents what they need to say to that headmaster or or whoever about. Um, look, this is a brilliant opportunity for my son. Therefore, you should let him miss school, basically. So it's it's very much when you read these brochures, it's all about the dream. I think you know, I, and I, and I have spoke about about this to parents, and and the parents say to me, and I I always say, make sure his education doesn't slip while you're doing this, and they always say to me. You know, we're so fortunate that we've got this this opportunity. This is eight year old that we've got this opportunity to to actually go to Premier League football grounds, academies, and play against Premier League, young Premier League players. 
So you, you, you know, it it is a wonderful it's a wonderful wonderful experience. And I'm not taking any, you know. I think it, the setup and everything else, like I say, in my, in my I don't think there, there, there's a better setup in the world than what we've got. But, but they know the the Premier League, the PFA, know about the drop off. They know what's going to happen. It's there. It's in front of them. It's been ten years now. Something has to be done, you know. And and if listen at sixteen, if a kid then fails or drops off. But then it goes to a college, a top college, where he's doing something bespoke, but still playing football at a decent level. You know, what a safety net that is for the family. As a parent, if I had that in place and I knew that, I'd be much more comfortable and maybe a little bit more relaxed in respect of the pressure I'm putting on the kid to try and make, make, make him that elite player. So it's, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's not just a duty and care for a duty and care. It's actually a responsibility that the you know that, that that I think the governing bodies have got to help the parents with. Which bodies do you think can help you execute your plan? Is it all up to the FA? Do you need the Premier League to do this? No, the EFL and even other bodies in terms of supporting the mental health, the the other aspects of what you've been talking about, education. Well, all of them if they can get together. But you know, the Premier League are, are set away from the FA, so they could set the games program up without any problems they don't they don't need to go through the fa to get a games program set up so they they really would be uh, they would do it quicker and most probably more professional um than the other bodies um but everybody has a responsibility you know this is our industry you know they're part of our industry so they have a, they have in my view a responsibility to get their heads together and start putting something in place. Like I say, that when it comes, when that drop-off comes, those kids are looked after and they're looked after in a way that they can turn around in, in 10 years after they'd left the football club and say, I had a wonderful experience. You can't believe the experience I had and I just failed, I just short. But look what I've done and look what I've achieved since. Whereas at the moment, it's dropped off they're left to one side, and uh, you know, like I say, some clubs are better than other others at looking after them. But you know, and Crystal Palace have, have brought out a, a, a four-year thing. That's aftercare. Mm. I'm not talking about aftercare. I'm talking about the care while they're going through the system, which I think, you know, is much more important than when they leave. There was a, the survey was done last year, which we referenced uh, in the paper today, which was that 88 percent of of lads that have been let go felt they hadn't been sufficiently supported by their clubs after they'd been released. I thought that was really telling. But I think the thing is, coming back to your question, Premier League has got so much resource to do this. You know, there's so much money in the game. You know, rather rather than be giving, you know, and I know players hate this, but rather than keep giving players £300,000 a week, you could take a bit of that money away and think about the kids that don't make it but who are actually on the pitch every week year after year helping those kids mm. realize that dream and and get to that level one of the interesting things though for me and why i asked it is you know there's all this talk about an independent regulator and more reach of the government into football you wonder whether they could come up with guidelines if they are gonna you know into if you like interfere yeah, with football and change things to make sure that football clubs are supporting these young people, if they're going to make them do things in other areas, this is as important as any other. I think. I think what you just said there, Hughes, very smart. I think you, an independent regulator could be the one saying, you know, if, if if you know, hopefully they can respond to Tony. He's mm -hmm. already been spoken to them. But but if there if there is a reluctance to engage at this stage, then yeah, an independent regulator that said 
what provision are you making for the academy kids that don't make it and, and apply some pressure? The, the, you know, the, the TV deals they're doing are billions mm. and billions and billions. The money is there. They can do this. Just finally on it, you're in a very unique position, Tony, in terms of being a grandfather of one of these players in an academy due to your massive experience in the in the game. Um, what conversations do you have with your child and your son or daughter-in-law, the parents of your grandchild and your grandchild about this experience that they are all going through and you as a family? Well, the, the, first and foremost, the club he's at is, is, is it's really, really very, very good. Um, and, they, and they do look after the boys. You know, I've spoken to uh, uh, officers there who, who have said, is everything all right with, with my grandson? Everything at home okay? Is there anything we can do? Anything we can't do? If we can help? And they, they're, they're really good. They're, they're, they are top class, really. My most impo- The most important thing and, and the thing I say to him every every week is he's got to enjoy it. You know, it, it, it's, he's, he's eight years of age. <laughs> it's, you know, football is a sport that at that age. You've got to, you know, he's got to go out and want to play and enjoy it, irrespective of how he plays, if he plays well or badly. You know, just enjoy the game. And um, luckily, obviously, my daughter has, has come through, you know, the, or my, my son and my two daughters have come through a family where dad's been involved in football all the time. So they understand the ups and downs. Um, but schoolwork is very, very important for, for my grandchildren. Um, massively important. I, I didn't uh, realise he was so young. Does it does it worry you at all? Um, no, I, I. It doesn't worry me as long as long as it doesn't affect his education. All right, that's a proper grandfather looking out for his grandson. There, it's all about your schoolwork, son. <laughs> um, listen, Tony, we do want to talk to you about football. What you what you've come up with there, by the way, a fantastic plan and a plan that is needed in football. So I wish you all the best with that in particular. But as we've got you, and we haven't spoke to you for a while, of course, we mentioned um, not managing since the yeah. end of of twenty twenty. Um, we wanted to ask you really about football at the moment. And funnily enough, on the game podcast, we we've had an argument recently given the comments that Jurgen Klopp made about Antonio Conte and the styles of football in the Premier League right now and you were one of those managers who that public persona of your style of football was criticised at times when you hear things like that and you hear the best managers in the game saying they're a little bit too defensive this week well that's not me that's not for me and being a little bit snooty about styles of football <laughs> how does that make you feel? I think Klopp just had uh, you know, his, had his pockets picked and responded on it he's not used to dropping points at uh, Anfield we're not used to dropping points full full stop so the reaction didn't surprise me in respect of that I've got great respect for Antonio I think he's everywhere he's been he's done a wonderful job he does it in a certain way they're very organised they're very well set up but he, I think he'll, he'll he will turn Tottenham round not just to a winning team I think once he gets and hopefully he'll he'll bring in more players he likes players of quality, but he also likes them to to work hard. And and you know, people have got different opinions. Um, the game is all about winning games. If if as a you know, I get young managers ringing me up all the time, and I say, brilliant. You know, you can have your philosophies. You can, you can believe in certain things and everything else. If you don't win football matches, you ain't going to be in the job very long. If you don't overachieve, if you don't pour out a team that's competitive week in week out. You ain't going to be in this game very, very long. Does that help coaching in this country? I think the great thing with the academy, and we haven't uh, uh, touched on it as well, is some of the coaches that, that, that have been in the system for the, the 10 years. If you look at Steve Cooper, just one example at Forest. Steve worked in the academy. 
and has come through now and is managing Forest. So that's another plus for the for the academies. Um, no, I, I, you know, football, football has changed enormously since I started, and it's lovely. You know, the change happens, and you have to move with change. Mm. And it's lovely, and hopefully, um, it, it goes. It's lovely to see younger coaches getting the opportunity and the chance in the leagues who've worked in the academies, and hopefully, they prove themselves good enough to manage in the Premier League. Coaches do need time. They need to get better. They, they need their methods to come across. From yeah. the time you started in, in management and coaching, the time, the average time of a manager at any club in the Football League and the Premier League is shrinking and shrinking. I think it's down to about 18 months now. Yeah. Um, well, when, when I started off, there was a, um, there was a, a, a great manager and a great person called Alex Stock. Um, and Alex said to me that you know every manager should be given three years, one year to assess what he's got, the second year to change what he's got to what he wants, and the third year then to start winning. And those three years were really, really important to lay down a foundation for the club then to push on. Like you say, you know, if you, if you lose four or five games on the bounce now, you know the pressure's on you through the papers and. And us on the podcast, of course, yeah, as well, yeah. if anyone ever listens to us. Um, out of the Premier League managers at the moment, some of the managers coming through, maybe in the Football League as well, who's caught your eye? I know you mentioned Steve Cooper there, big game coming up for them in terms of the championship playoffs as well, maybe a place in the Premier League. But any other coaches who, who've caught your eye? I think uh, Graham Potter, uh, Brighton, Brighton, you know, the, the, the story there, and at Brentford. I think those two clubs, the way they've gone around building their football clubs, brand new stadiums, brand new training grounds, but also being successful on the pitch. And their great success is their recruitment. Their recruitment has been absolutely outstanding. For the budgets that they've got and the people they're competing against, those two football clubs really, really stand out for me. How far do you think Graham Potter can go? Do you think he's destined for a Champions League team, uh, the biggest clubs in football? Well, like, the, the the issue you've got is that a lot of the owners now at the top clubs are actually foreign owners and, and they, they get dictated by agents who are foreign agents who will always try and promote foreign coaches or foreign managers. Um, I hope Graham gets the opportunity. You know, I think he's, um, like I say, he's done exceptionally well at Brighton. He's had good support, obviously, from uh, Tony um, right down, you know, Paul, uh, Barbara. They've, they've had a... A solid base that they've built off, but no, it'd be lovely to see you know people like Graham and Steve Cooper and you know the likes coming through and and eventually getting good good clubs. You know Eddie's got a great chance now at Newcastle mm. to put something together. Yeah, it's it, it'd be really nice to see more English called British coaches, not English mm. and Welsh do you, uh, do, British do, coaches in the, in the top level. Do you think British coaches level. are a little bit disrespected at that top level? Maybe undervalued is the word that I mean. Yeah, I think there's some very, very, there's some top coaches out there. You know, I just go back, I, I go back, you know, and I, I've got great respect for Pep and, and people at the top. Well, yeah, real great respect. You know, I, I once watched as a, as a young lad, I went to, uh, um, where was it? It was Bath University to watch Malcolm Allison put a coaching session on. And Malcolm, um, it was Bristol Rovers, there was eight uh, under 18s, Bristol Rovers against Bristol City. And Malcolm took, I think it was Bristol City to one side and set him up to play without a centre forward. You know, 30 years later, 40 years later, you know, um, Pep's a genius because he, he can play a game of football without centre forward. <laughs> well, Malcolm was doing that 
40 years ago. The problem is, I'm most probably at an age, I'm, I'm the only one who can remember that. Everyone's younger than me. And, <laughs> I was about to say, France, 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 yeah. France won the World Cup in 98 without a proper centre forward. Well, and, you know, the, the, the systems regurgitate. They do regurgitate. You know, the, the bottom line is, is that Liverpool play and Man City play. They've got great, great players. You know, you have a look at the money that um, that those two clubs have spent to get the great players in. Now, then you need a manager who can mould them. And the two of them, like I say, have, have, have done that to perfection. And um, I'm, I'm sure Antonio, hopefully, Daniel will behave and spend some money and give, it, and give him the opportunity to bring players in because I think they could go they could go to the next level. A lot of the coaches, when they're not employed, um, we've seen have gone away and tried to improve their style or, or add things. Have you been doing that, visiting clubs or watching games and trying, yeah, to, pick, got, trying got, to pick I, up little tips? Yeah, I, got, I do a little bit for uh, TV and, and, and radio. Um, but I, I pick, I'll pick my games mm. to watch. I've also got involved or got involved. I've also enjoyed looking at other sports, the, the way coaches work in those sports. Um you know, talking to people from different sports. It's been good. It's, it's you know, I've been in the game, like I say, for a very, very long time. And, and being a manager is all-consuming. The opportunity to, to have time to to do what you want to do and to spend time. And like I say, I've got seven grandchildren. My son was at into Miami last year with, with Beckham's franchise. Wow. He's now taken on a coaching, a manager's job or coach's, top coach's job at FC Miami. So we've been over there oh, for, wow. for three weeks to 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 watch. I was going to say you are you are looking tanned. You know the <laughs> no, that's the South Coast. The the, the you want to get the, out of this the, office. The Greek and go down. god body is there. You know you can't see Tony at the moment, yeah, but he's in, yeah. he's looking in good health. Yeah, but no, I've been over there and had a good look. You know, good look at what uh, my son's doing and the, you know the team he's putting together and everything else. So it's been. Yeah, it's lovely. Football's never too far away from from our household. That's interesting. An opportunity abroad, maybe back here. Have you thought about your options? Would you like to come back to to managing soon? At the moment, I'm enjoying being able to get up every morning, walk down the coffee shop with my wife on the beach, and you know, take time out really. And, and I do what I want to do when I want to do it. And not subservient to looking after 20 babies, <laughs> cuddling them and protecting them and trying to get a result every week. Yeah, it's been good. Tony, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. As I say, once again, best of luck with the plan in terms of the academies. Make sure you check out Tony and uh, Matt Lawton's piece on the Times app right now. Tony, make sure you come back and speak to us again soon because we would love to speak to you about all of the great football action going on at the moment. Uh, thank you all for listening. Much more to come from us on the Game Podcast, but make sure you're subscribed you can check us out at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game voiceover describes what's happening on your iphone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts calendar double tap to open Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. 
Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 